here at Christmas, just right at it. Ironically, this time of year that we call Christmas is a time of both celebration and really separation, if you will. Because no other time of the year is the Christian more separated from what's going on than Christmas. Um, what I mean by that is uh, the world celebrates a season, but the believer celebrates a Savior. And whether the world likes it or not, and I think increasingly people don't seem to like it, Christmas really is the celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, for the most part, most people in the world are going to throw a big party and they're going to have a great time, but the problem is they're going to forget to invite the guest of honor. <laughs> uh, this world kind of reminds me of two ladies I heard about who were in a restaurant eating, a very nice upscale restaurant, and it was obvious they were celebrating something. And so the waitress came over and talked to them and said, uh, looks like an amazing party. What are you celebrating? And they said, uh, <coughs> excuse me, one of the ladies said, well, we're celebrating my baby's birthday. And the waitress didn't see a child, so she said, well, oh, well, where's the baby? The mom said, well, you don't think I'd bring the baby to this party, do you? They had ruined the whole thing. Now, a lot of people will throw an office party, and I love a party. I, that's my life saying, let's party. A lot of people are going to throw Christmas parties, though, at work, and truth is they won't invite Jesus. That would ruin their party. But how would you feel if someone threw a birthday party for you and at that party everybody got a gift except you? Or how would you feel if somebody threw a party for you but you weren't even mentioned or, in fact, not even invited? In our nation, we have managed to make Christmas. I updated this early this morning. Christmas expenses in America, it is a 720 billion with a B, $720 billion industry. Lots of Americans are going to spend a lot, but lots of Americans are not going to know the person of Christmas. I'm not a Scrooge, man. I love Christmas and I love gifts. My love language is gifts. If you want to bless me, give me a gift, I tell you. But, but there is something tragically wrong, isn't there, when we forget the whole reason for the season. And Christmas is not just about buying gifts, although I've bought plenty. It really is. Christmas is about the birth of the Messiah. Christmas is not, about, not about just about buying toys for kids, although we've bought many, especially for our grandkids. My wife has a list this long. I don't know one gift she's bought them, but, but I help pay for them, all right? But it's not just about buying toys for children. Christmas is about giving honor to Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you why that birthday some 2,000 years ago was the birthday not just of a king or a king, but was the birthday of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the reason why Jesus Christ was able to live such a unique life and die such a unique death and be raised in such a unique resurrection is because he experienced such an incredibly unique birth. I want to talk to you about the virgin birth today as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. The virgin birth, first of all, was a birth that was controlled by the sovereignty of God. It was no accident. It was no mere common birth. Look back at verse 22 in our text. 
This is what we're told, that God was working. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken, now listen to this, by the Lord. Do you see that? Who spoke it? The Lord. It was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated means God with us. Now, now that verse that says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that verse refers to all the preceding verses. Matthew chapter 1, we started not at verse 1, but we started intentionally at verse 18. But there's a lot of verses there, and it says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord. Now, when I first became a Christian some years ago, I started re trying to read through the Bible, and some of it made sense, some of it didn't make sense. One part of it that did not make any sense to me at all were all the begats and the begots. And, and you know, you read Matthew chapter 1 and just look at it. That's the way it is. Chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then look at verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez begot, and you just go on and on, and I, I just remember reading thinking, what in the world does that have to do? Then, I had an Old Testament professor say, Holmesley, don't throw out that part of the Bible. There's some great truths in all those genealogies. You just got to learn to search through them in light of Jesus. And you know, I began to really do that. And there are so many hidden and glorious truths to be discovered in those records if you just look for them. Let me give you just a couple that I think will blow you away and show you the hand, a sovereign hand of a providential God superintending and guiding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order to do that, you have to remember that the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus, was to be restricted to a certain lineage. In other words, he had to be a son of Abraham. Promises were made by God in the Old Testament to Abraham and all of his descendants. But if you read in verse 2 of the text we looked at, somebody's begotten of somebody, and somebody's begotten of someone else. And this person then begat this person, and this person begat this person. But when you get to verse 16, here's what's amazing. It does not say that Jesus was begotten of Joseph. It's man, this man begot this man. This man, it's, it's following the paternal line. But when it gets to verse 16, it mentions Joseph, Jesus' earthly stepdad, I like to call him, and it doesn't say, and he begat Jesus. It says, he married Mary, who begat Jesus. Fascinating fascinating and uh, Joseph did not beget Jesus Jesus was born of Mary now if you look back up let me just show you some cool things here this is what will blow you away look at verse 2 in your Bible if you have one there should be one in the back of the pew in verse 2 we're told these words Abraham begot Isaac see Abraham had a son named Isaac now he literally had two sons but one of them isn't really mentioned there he had two sons Isaac and who Ishmael. That's right. But God said, no, the, the line is not of the Messiah. It's not going to go through Ishmael. It's going to come through Isaac. 
And so God eliminated one half of that lineage because he said the Messiah had to come through Isaac, Genesis chapter 21. Then look in verse 2, and what does it say next? Now, so Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat whom? Jacob. All right, now Jacob had two sons. Uh, excuse me, uh, Isaac had two sons. Isaac had Jacob and whom? Esau, that's exactly right. But God said, not going to come through Esau. The, the, lineage, the line is going to run down through Jacob. And uh, so now God eliminates one half of that one. You see this line kind of gumming. The Messiah is going to come through it. And then if you read in verse 2, And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, boy, it expands. Now, Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons. And what God does, each son would represent one tribe of Israel, and uh, what God says is, but the Messiah is only going to be able to come through one tribe, the tribe of Judah, one of his sons, Judah. So now God takes these 12, I don't have 12 fingers, but he, he, he eliminates 11 of those 12. He says Messiah can only come through that one, through the tribe of Judah. And then look at verse 5, you see a key, key phrase. You see where it says, and uh, verse 5, Obed begot Jesse. Now you say, why in the world would Jesse be included? Well, because in Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come through the line of Jesse. Then in verse 6, Jesse begot David the king. Now why is that important? Because Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament had prophesied that the Messiah was going to come through the house and lineage of David, of King David, and sit on David's throne. Let me read you that verse. Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute justice, justice and righteousness in the earth. That's Jeremiah 23, 5. Now, Go back into your Old Testament, I expect you remember all this, but in 1 Samuel 16, that man named Jesse didn't only have David as a son, he had, I think, six sons, eight sons, eight sons, that's right, he had eight sons. Now, God says, not going to come through these seven, just going to come through David, and uh, he's going to ensure that. Now, listen, it gets even better. It gets tricky here because verse 11, if you look at it, Josiah begat Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away into Babylon. This is when Israel got carried away into captivity. But Josiah begat Jeconiah. Now you've got a great problem because one of David's descendants has become king and he is a wicked, wicked king. Jeconiah was so wicked that even though he was of the line of David, the Messiah would never come through him because Jeremiah revealed, and I quote, Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David or ruling any more in Judah. Oh boy, the Messiah, God's anointed, couldn't come through Jeconiah. So how did God solve the problem? Well, look again with me now at verse 16. 
because every person mentioned up to this point has been begotten of someone else until you get to Jesus. When you get to Jesus, you don't read, and Joseph, you know, his earthly stepdad, and you don't read this, Joseph begot Jesus. What you read is, Jesus was born of Mary. Now, Joseph was not the real father of Jesus. If he had been, now follow me, not only could Jesus have not been the Son of God, because he would have just had a human mom and dad, he could have not been of the Messiah because the bloodline from Joseph, you see it right here, is traced back, and it would have come through Jeconiah. He had been disqualified from the Messianic line. But another problem's raised. The Messiah still, at the same time, has to come from the lineage of David. How is that going to happen? Well, Jesus did come through the lineage of David. You know how he did it? Not through his father, but through his mother Mary. Matthew is tracing the paternal line. It gets to Jeconiah and the paternal line, all the men, and it, and it, and it goes, Jeconiah messed the deal up. Joseph can't be the father. But when you read Luke's genealogy, with a little study, guess who Luke traces that genealogy through? Mary. And what you find out, he traces it through the line of the mother. And you read in Luke chapter 3 that Jesus was born the son of Nathan, who was the son of David. Luke gives us the legal line of Jesus through Nathan, through Mary, back up through Nathan, who was an additional son of David. He would have been Solomon's brother, and he ends it in Mary, who was the Lord's mother. Genealogically speaking, when you slow down, and I know you got all this rolling around, what you find is that Jesus Christ was the only man ever born perfectly qualified to take the eternal throne of David. Now you may just say, ah, oh, that's just a strange coincidence, or maybe those Jewish writers just wrote it down to, to make it look that way. I believe it is a sovereign, providential act of God. This is not an accident. All these things about Jesus Christ were written and done that it might be fulfilled that was, was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Jesus' birth, I'll tell you what else it was. It was a birth that was conceived by the Spirit of God. The New Testament doesn't allow any accident in it. In verse 18, look at verse 18. Now we read it. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, Matthew is clear to tell us that, she was found with child of whom? Of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're told a couple of things real plainly here about the birth of Jesus. Number one, he did not have an earthly father. Number two, because he was begotten of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Plain black print on white page. Jesus is the only man who was ever born of an earthly mother without the need or aid of an earthly father. In fact, Joseph himself testified that he was not the father. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, now he's a righteous man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to do what? To put her away secretly. Now, 
we know that this marriage hadn't been consummated because we're told that Mary had become pregnant, notice, before they came together in verse 18. Joseph, who was a just man, couldn't take responsibility for a birth that he hadn't caused. And he wanted to just put her away privately because adultery was a crime that was punishable by death in those days. Joseph didn't know who the dad was. He just knew who the dad wasn't. An angel appears to him in verse 20. An angel says, I'm going to tell you who the true father is. I love verse 20, while Joseph thought about these things. Boy, I guess he did think about them, right? Engaged, having these dreams about finally being with his wife and all the blessings of God, and then she comes up and says, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. Uh, can you imagine? How, what would your response be, right? I, I mean, you're pregnant? Who have you been messing around with? You know, I bet he blamed everybody around the whole village. Can you imagine? Um, I went to the hospital sometime back, had a heart attack about eight weeks ago, six weeks, somewhere like that, not keeping track. Couldn't find my wallet when I got home. Laying in the hospital, heart attack, hooked up to all this stuff, somebody stole my wallet. Man, I was blaming everybody in that hospital. Must have been that guy that came in there in the middle of the night. Must have been that nurse. Must have been, wonder if it was this one. Wonder, wonder if it was Tony. Tony came in my room. Now, I didn't think Tony stole my wallet. I thought maybe he picked it up and had my jacket. I lost a jacket, too. Couldn't find it. I thought, well, Tony would have put my jacket on. He would have known it. And if he'd have found my wallet in it, surely he'd have given it back. Unless he's too scared that I'd kill him. I don't know. I mean, you know, I was blaming Randy Jerica, same way. You know, just who? I bet I blamed 10 people on stealing that wallet. Uh, guess what happened? I found my wallet. It was at home. Beside of my chair, where I had looked 10 times, but obviously I needed to look 11. But you know how it is. You ever done something like that? You're blaming people. Wonder who did this. Wonder who said that. Wonder, wonder, wonder. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the turmoil in Joseph's mind? She's pregnant, and she says that God is the Father. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was so. Oh, you know, he was just beside of himself. No one's ever heard of a virgin birth. Now, there are those who want to deny the virgin birth. Even to this day, and if they don't deny it, they just say, well, it's not that important. But it is important. Let me tell you why. There are three things that are tragically true if the virgin birth is untrue. First of all, if there was no real virgin birth, first of all, Scripture is unreliable. Because over and over and over from cover to cover and time and again, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Jeremiah in the Old Testament prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 22 that a woman shall encompass a man. It was also proclaimed in the New Testament by, of all people, none other than a medical doctor. His name is Luke. 
He was a good physician. He testified in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. Then Mary said to the angel, who had just told her she was going to have a child, How can this be, since I have not known a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Again, right here in Matthew chapter 1, we are told specifically in verse 18, Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. An angel testified to this in verse 20 and told uh, Joseph, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, over and over and over, the Bible states this. Here's the amazing thing. The Bible never tries to prove the virgin birth. It just states it as fact. That's because the writers of Scripture were being guided by the Lord, and the writers of Scripture believed in the Lord. If you doubt the virgin birth, and you say, that's just impossible. No, no, that can never happen. Listen, if you can believe the first few words of the Bible, you ought to be able to believe any other miracle in the Bible. Just the first few words. In the beginning, God. Hmm? In the beginning, God. If there is a God, an all-powerful, almighty God, he can do what he wants to do. Amen? Sure. No such thing as natural laws. They're just nature that obeys the laws written by the God who created it. And listen, if you reject... Now, the Bible never tries to prove the virgin birth. It just presents it as a fact. And you may accept it or you may reject it. But, but listen to me. However, if you reject the virgin birth, you need to understand that you are rejecting Isaiah the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, Matthew the writer of the gospel, and Luke the doctor of the writer of a gospel. And if you reject those parts of the Bible, then you've got a real problem because if you can't believe all the Bible, then how can you believe any of the Bible? And who's going to be inspired enough to tell us which spots are the inspired spots? So you see, if the virgin birth is not true, if it's not true and Scripture says it's true, Scripture's unreliable. But not only that, if the virgin birth is not true, now listen, our Savior would be undependable. If Jesus is not the Spirit-conceived, virgin-born Son of God, then of necessity, He, have, he had to have been the the child of an immoral woman and a promiscuous father. And if Jesus were not virgin born, he had a human father, like every one of us. And if Jesus had a human father, then he would have inherited the sin nature of the father. And since that father had a nature of sin, Jesus would have inherited that. Therefore, Jesus himself, now follow me, would have been a sinful human being, and he himself would need a savior from his sin. You see, if you deny the virgin birth, the house of Christianity just comes down like a stack of cards. If you take away the deity from the baby in the manger, then he's just a human baby. You, you don't need a cross. If Jesus was not born through a supernatural birth, he couldn't have died a saving death. But not only would the Savior be undependable, salvation would be unattainable. If there's no virgin birth, 
Salvation is unattainable. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then he was not the son of God. He was the son of some man. If he was not the son of God, then he, the reason that he's the son of God, the son of God allowed him to be a perfect man, allowed him to live without sin. Do you see? And so if he was not the son of God, then he was not perfect and not absolutely without sin. Now, if Jesus wasn't perfect, he couldn't have been our sacrifice for our sins. If Jesus was not a perfect sacrifice, then he was no sacrifice at all. And if he was no sacrifice, we are still in our sins, separated from God without hope. See, salvation is inextricably tied to the virgin birth of the Savior. No virgin birth, no salvation. There's one other thing to be said. This is fascinating. In verse 1 of this chapter, look at it with me. We're told that Jesus was the son of David and the son of Abraham. <laughs> now just follow it. Look, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now we know he lived generations later, right? So he wasn't, this is not implying the physical son, like the direct descendant. But when it calls him, listen, here's what's amazing. Nowhere in Scripture will you find where Joseph, Jesus' earthly stepfather, is called the father of Jesus. Nowhere will you find where Jesus is called the son of Joseph. He was called the son of Abraham, and that referred to his earthly lineage. He was the son of David. That, that refers to being one who is going to sit on David's throne but he was also called the Son of God. Jesus Christ is called the Son of God. That refers to his eternal deity because he was the Son of God already, pre-incarnate, before he came and entered into Mary's womb. Listen, this was the birthday of a king. This is a, first of all, think about it now, the mystery of this birth. Think about the mystery of this birth. I think Paul was certainly right in 1 Timothy 3.16 when he said these words. I'm trying to explain it to Timothy, and he says, a young preacher, he says, Great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in flesh. Sure, it's a mystery. Sure, it's a mystery. God manifested in flesh. There's no way scientifically or technologically or empirically or rationally that you can explain the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In all honesty, as I said earlier, the Bible doesn't give much of an explanation. It simply tells us that it happened. As close as it gets is when the angel says, The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. The shadow of the Most High will overcome you. That's it. We aren't told about the mechanism. We aren't, and you get too deep into that. And I tell you, I see people try to question everything and question this and that. And, and, and they miss the magnificence of this. They miss the mystery of it. Doctors and scientists may say that the virgin birth is impossible. At the same time, Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, With God, all things are possible. It's a mysterious thing, but it's a majestic thing. Look at verses 22 
and 23. Think of the majesty of it all. This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. We're given one of the names of Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. Now that name refers to who he is, his person. Who is this babe in the manger? May I tell you very honestly, that baby laying in that manger was none less and none different than the creator of the universe. If you read the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the magnificence of that? You know, if a man were somehow to become like God, you'd expect him to look exactly like Jesus. I think that's exactly why Lord Byron said, and I quote, if ever man was God, or if ever God was man, Jesus Christ was both. I heard about a preacher many years ago who was preaching on the virgin birth. He was talking about this mystery and this majesty of the conception of Jesus, the virgin birth by the Holy Spirit. A man who was a skeptic came up to him after the service. He said, I don't believe that virgin birth story, and I bet you don't really believe it either. And the pastor said, well, sir, you're, you're wrong. I, I do believe it. And the man said, yeah, well, let me just throw a, a story to you, a proposal. He said, you just suppose that a lady was to come up to you, and young lady, and she had her boyfriend standing beside of her, her fiancé, and she said, you know, I'm pregnant, but, but now this is my, my fiancé, and we've never touched one another, and uh, I've conceived this baby in my womb miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Guy looked at that pastor and said, would you believe that? Would you honestly believe that? He really thought the pastor would say no, but to his surprise, the pastor said, yes, I would believe it. I'm not sure I would. <laughs> but he said, I would believe it. And then after a dramatic pause, he said, I would believe it. If that birth had been foretold by prophets thousands of years before that baby was ever conceived. And I would believe it if an angel had visited that boyfriend and said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'd believe it if when that baby was born, wise men traveled from afar and brought gifts to worship him, and a star guided them to where that baby lay. I would believe it if her son had power over the wind and the waves, over death and disease, could raise the dead and heal the blind and walk on water. I'd believe it if her son died on a cross and was raised from the dead three days later and appeared over 500 witnesses at once. I'd believe it if that son went out onto a mountaintop and ascended visibly back into heaven while an angel stood by and said, This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. And yes, 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 I would believe it if the eyewitnesses of his resurrection would have rather died than to deny that they had seen him alive after he had been raised from the dead. And yes, if his disciples through 2,000 years were numbered in the billions, 
I would believe it. And so would I. And so do I. And so will any rational, objective person who will examine the evidence. They will believe it as well. But why did Jesus come? Why? The answer is given in verse 21. Just look right there in your Bible. Verse 21, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Why did the great creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, God the Son, take on a body of real flesh? Why, why did he do it that way? Why did he do it that way? Like, why did he have to become one of us? I want to just, I want you to listen closely because when you're talking about this, you are in the presence of one of the great mysteries and wonders of the universe. Follow me closely. The creator of the universe, who by his very nature has always existed and always will exist, he's eternal. He is of a completely different dimension and reality than anything he ever created. We're all temporal. We all die. But in a way that is really hard for us to even conceive, he took on a body of flesh. Now listen, for the central purpose, the primary purpose of making himself able to die. God can't die. But Jesus Christ, the God-man, could die to pay for our sins. He became one of us. He lived without sin. And the creator of this universe took on a body of flesh for the express purpose so that God could die. So he could endure death so you and I might live. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 4 and 15 says this. Listen. Since the children, speaking of us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and that he might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery God clothed himself with humanity for the express purpose of dying so that rebellious people like you and me who are in rebellion against him, might be able to live with him forever. Absolutely amazing. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, that you... would die for us is an amazing thought Lord 
Our minds can scarcely wrap around this or even try to. But Lord, how much we love you. How much we're thankful that you were willing to die for us. Amazing that you would take on our nature so you could die. You would take on our nature so we can live with you forever. Our sins can be paid for. I couldn't die for the people in this room because I'm a sinner myself. They couldn't die for me because they're sinners. Only a sinless one could pay a penalty for our sins. And that way justice is done. The penalty is paid. You remain just. We get to go free when we put our faith in you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for your son. Thank you for that marvelous, mysterious gift of the incarnation. Help us to believe it and to be thankful and grateful for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask if we could just all stand together. This is a time of a service that we just like to reflect on maybe what God has said to us during this this. Uh, Message, maybe you feel alone, maybe you feel forgotten, but let, let this assure you that you are precious to Him. Precious enough to Him that He, he died, he, he devised a way that He could die for you, that God could die for you. You are the object of amazing love. He should be the object of all our love, amen? All of our love. What a, what a Savior, hallelujah. What a Savior. So if you need prayer, I'm going to come forward. Uh, Tony will be down here. I think Ryan's outside taking care of a few things there for you when you leave. But uh, either way, you just come and ask a lot of you to just come forward and pray. We'd love to pray for you.